Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris today. This is the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 27th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at the weather forecast first thing, this coming from KCRG. Two rounds of rain and snow potential today and Thursday. A slow-moving set of low-pressure systems will keep our weather active for a couple of more days, with wintry conditions possible at times. The first potential round of snow or a rain and snow mix comes today. An area of low pressure that caused some of our snow showers on Tuesday has only moved a few hundred miles since then and is still close enough to influence our weather today. Areas of light snow have been seen in parts of southern Iowa this morning, and additional waves of snow showers are possible. The most likely area to see this will be along and south of the U.S. Highway 30 corridor, with the risk increasing the farther you go south. Some of this precipitation could mix with a little bit of rain at times, as temperatures reach the upper 30s to around 40. Snow that falls today will be fighting against warmer air temperatures and unfrozen ground, which will act to limit the potential for accumulation, especially during daylight hours. That being said, snow could fall fast enough at times to allow for some of it to stick, and a dusting to an inch of snow could occur. Some slick roadways could also develop while snow is falling, so be wary of that potential within snow showers. Slow down, use your headlights, and allow for extra stopping distance at intersections and between you and the car in front of you. Precipitation winds down by this evening, with a decent amount of clearing possible tonight for many of us. This should allow lows to dip a little lower than the past couple of days, with readings in the upper 20s to around 30 for many. A new area of cloud cover enters toward daybreak on Thursday, and areas of light snow could soon follow. This snow comes on the backside of a secondary area of low pressure that will be located to our east, so it will follow a northeast to southwest path through the area. Much more of the area could get involved in this compared to today, with only parts of our northwest zone potentially escaping the chance. Some of this activity could linger into Friday night as well. Yet again, though, we'll see highs that reach to the mid to upper 30s. Similar to today's round, warmer temperatures will be limiting factor for accumulation. That being said, this second round carries a somewhat better chance for accumulation, with areas of slick roadways possible during parts of the day. Any snow that falls outside of the daylight hours will have a better chance of sticking and causing some slick spots, too. Around an inch or less could again stick. It's a marginal situation, though, due to the temperatures. Just be prepared to deploy some of those safe winter driving techniques, as described above. After any remaining rain or snow winds down on Thursday night, we'll see clouds gradually decrease on Friday. Temperatures won't show a whole lot of change on the last day of the shortened work week, with highs still aiming for the mid-30s to low 40s. Clearer skies on Friday night allow for lows on Saturday to be in the low to mid-20s, which will be cooler than most of the week to that point.
A cold front moves through on Saturday night, which could bring a couple of snow showers with it. More notably, it brings in a reinforcing shot of some colder air, which results in temperatures turning chillier for the New Year holiday period. Highs will be in the upper 20s to low 30s, with lows in the 10s to low 20s. While not bitterly cold, and in many cases not even below normal for this time of year, it'll still be a bit of a shock given recent extreme warmth. Quieter weather continues into the first week of 2024, with temperatures bouncing around the 30s for highs and dry conditions. Now let's begin reading local news from the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Waterloo man's dream business garnering national attention. This story was written by Holly Hudson Hill. Dateline Waterloo. David Bryant's latest accomplishment came as a nice surprise. While surfing the internet a few weeks ago, the owner of Big Head Burger in Waterloo came across a story in Taste of Home magazine listing the best burger in every state. I scrolled down to Iowa, and there it was, he said. I was definitely really surprised and really grateful that the hours and the hard work were getting us somewhere, and people were speaking positively about us, unquote. Brian's journey to restaurant ownership has been a bit unconventional. Born and raised in Waterloo, he graduated from Northern University High School in Cedar Falls. He studied at Hawkeye Community College and Wartburg College in Waverly, and spent some time in the Culinary Arts Program at Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids. He worked at John Deere for seven years. While off work recuperating from a surgery, Bryant had a dream about Big Head Burger. Quote, the logo, the name, parts of the menu, all of it. I wheeled out to the living room and wrote everything down, he said. That set everything in motion. Two years later, he purchased a food truck. Two years after that, in 2021, he opened Big Head Burger at 324 West 4th Street. Bryant comes by his business acumen naturally. Quote, My grandfather, Cullen Crawford, owned a little store and a laundromat with a restaurant on Logan Avenue for 35 or 40 years. He would put me up front and have me interact with customers, unquote. Bryant's mother, Nina Crawford, and his aunt, Darlene Crawford, both work at the restaurant with him. Quote, we have a very diverse customer base, he said. We get students, elderly people, my grandfather's friends, city workers like police officers and firefighters. The mayor even stops in. Quote, I am just so grateful they decided to use their hard-earned money and come here. It is also important to Brian to build strong relationships with the community. Quote, we donate food to the Jesse Cosby Center and the House of Hope every week, he said. Bryant recently approached Tri Pie Bakery at 522 Mulberry Street to partner on a fundraising project for the organization. According to its website, the business is empowering a diverse group of teen girls in life and leadership skills through meaningful work. Quote, I reached out to them to create a special shake because I have a lot of admiration for what they are doing. I wanted to try to be innovative. So, we put our thinking hats on to try to figure out what flavors 
and what would pair well, unquote. They came up with a combination of praline pie with salted caramel ice cream, a spin on the cake shakes featured on his regular menu. Quote, there is pie in the shake and a piece of pie on the top, Bryant said. It is not overly sweet. It has a balance to it, unquote. The shake has been a huge hit, Bryant said, and 10% of proceeds go to Try Pie. The promotion will run through the end of December. Brian was also recently interviewed as a part of the Grout Museum District's Black Stories Collective exhibit featuring black businesses in the Cedar Valley. Quote, I really appreciate that they thought of me, but there are so many strong entrepreneurial figures on the east side of Waterloo, like my grandfather, who really paved the way. People who look like me. Quote, everything we do is fresh, he said. We grind our own meat and use the best possible ingredients. We are always trying to fine-tune our process, streamlining it to make it more efficient. We just want to get better and improve what we're doing to allow for some growth. The job never ends, unquote. As for the future, Bryant hopes to get the food truck back on the road. Quote, we plan to do both when the ground is a lot more firm and the structure is in place, he said. Big Head Burger offers a variety of smash burgers, chicken sandwiches, wings, vegan options, french fries, onion rings, and cake shakes. It is open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Sunday. Next, we have two youths rescued after crashing through ice. Story written by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline Waterloo. Two youths were expected to recover after they fell through the ice and were rescued by firefighters on Friday morning. The pair, both 11-year-old males, were at a pond off of Cedar Terrace Drive when they apparently crashed through fragile ice. When crews with the Waterloo Fire Rescue arrived, one boy was in the water clinging to a section of ice. And here we have a photograph of the rescue taking place, and we see three firemen and an inflatable raft, and one is on that raft with a double oar, and we can see one of the boys laying on his back on the fragile ice. Two other firefighters are in the water helping him out. And back to the story, one was up to his armpits on an ice shelf, struggling. Both were conscious. The second youth was lying on an ice shelf, probably 20 yards to the east of that first victim, said Battalion Chief Ben Peterson. Firefighters in cold exposure wetsuits waded in to reach the boy in the water and bring him to safety. Firefighters then used an inflatable rapid deployment craft to paddle out to the second child. Quote, we tethered the boat and belayed it back to the shore, Peterson said. People on shore pulled them in as soon as the second victim was on the craft. Both were taken to a local hospital. Outdoor temperatures at the time the incident were in the 40s, and the pond wasn't completely frozen and had large sections of open water. Officials with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources caution residents to use safety when venturing out onto ice for fishing or other activities. According to the DNR, a blanket of snow on top of an ice-covered lake insulates the ice, 
slowing the growth of ice and hiding potential hazards or weak spots. River ice is 15% weaker than lake ice. Ice with a bluish color is safer than clear ice. People should avoid slushy or honeycombed ice and stay away from dark spots on the ice. Don't walk into areas where the snow cover looks discolored. Now, here is a list of safety tips on the ice. No ice is 100% safe. New ice is usually stronger than old ice. Don't go out alone. If the worst should happen, someone will be there to call for help or to help rescue. Let someone know where you are going and when you will return. Check ice thickness as you go out. There could be pockets of thin ice or places where ice recently formed. Avoid off-colored snow or ice. It is usually a sign of weakness. The insulating effect of snow slows down the freezing process. Bring along those basic items to help keep you safe. Hand warmers, ice cleats to help prevent falls, ice picks, wear around your neck, to help them crawl out of the water if you fall in, a life jacket, a floating safety rope, a whistle to call for help, a basic first aid kit, and extra dry clothes, including a pair of gloves. One person dead in Friday crash in Waterloo, south of the airport. Story by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline Waterloo. A Waterloo man is dead following a collision Friday evening. According to the accident report, Jason Joe Williams, 43, was driving a Mercury passenger car east on Airline Highway when his vehicle rear-ended a Dodge pickup truck driven by Wade Eric Rasmussen, 31, of Waterloo, at around 6 p.m. The Mercury was traveling at about 70 miles per hour, witnesses told police, and the Dodge was beginning to cross Airport Boulevard after stopping at the stop sign. Williams was trapped in the vehicle, and he was freed by crews with Waterloo Fire Rescue. He was taken to Unity Point Health Allen Hospital, where he was later pronounced dead, according to the accident report. Rasmussen was also taken to Allen Hospital for minor injuries. This was the second fatal crash in Waterloo in less than a week. On the night of December 20th, a pedestrian was struck on U.S. Highway 218 near Hawthorne Avenue and later died at the hospital. Details weren't available. Shooting, robbery suspect, now facing theft charges in another incident. Story by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline, Waterloo. A Waterloo man charged in a December 10th robbery that sent one person to the hospital with gunshot wounds is facing new charges. Authorities allege Marquane Shaquin Christopher Smith stole $6,679 worth of music studio equipment in October. The equipment was removed from a commercial building at 2831 Falls Avenue. Court records indicate the items belong to Tyquarius Davis. Smith, 29, was arrested for second-degree theft on December 15th in connection with the incident. He is also awaiting trial for a first-degree robbery, burglary, willful injury, and felon in possession of a firearm in a December 10th incident where he and others attacked Richard Sturdivant on Glenwood Street. Sturdivant was shot several times in the attack. 
Waterloo man facing drug distribution charges in cash seizure. Story by Jeff Reinitz. Dateline Waterloo. Authorities are pursuing federal drug charges for a Waterloo man who was found with marijuana and more than $59,000 in cash during a traffic stop. Last week, an investigator with the Tri-County Drug Enforcement Task Force filed a complaint charging Giovanni Marcellius Butler, 42, with possession and intent to distribute a controlled substance. According to court records, officers found Butler carrying $1,900 in cash and 12 grams of marijuana during a traffic stop at Clay and Dane Streets on May 9th. In his Audi, police discovered an MCM bag holding $57,219 in cash. A subsequent search of his cell phone uncovered information about cocaine trafficking, record state. Officers searched Butler's home at 726 Sherman Avenue a few weeks later and found 1.48 grams of cocaine and a digital scale, record state. Another search warrant was executed on December 20th, and officers found 6.5 grams of cocaine, record state. Butler is also awaiting trial in state court for drug charges stemming from a July 2021 traffic stop in Cedar Falls, where police found 23 grams of marijuana and $10,520 in cash. Waterloo takes first steps toward reconstruction of Laporte Road. Story was written by Maria Cooper. Dateline, Waterloo. Engineers are starting to make headway on the total reconstruction of Laporte Road. The City Council approved property acquisition from abutting property owners from East Shawless Road to north of Bop Street on Monday. This includes right-of-ways and permanent and temporary easements. The next step is for the city to purchase the properties and easements for no less than the fair market value. The acquisition affects 15 property owners. This is the first phase of the Laporte Road transformation. Last summer, the U.S. Department of Transportation awarded the city $20.5 million for the 2.7-mile stretch starting from the off-ramp on U.S. Highway 218 until the street becomes Hess Road near the Lost Island Parks. The project will reconfigure roadways by eliminating lanes, adding turn lanes, and creating a bike and pedestrian path along the sides of the road. The owners of the South Town Bar and Grill stepped up to the podium, voicing their concerns of how customers will access the restaurant, as well as other nearby businesses. Michelle Sweeney, with AECOM, which is designing the project, said there will be temporary access roads for these businesses. The motels on the west side of the road also will be accessible through Crossroads Boulevard. Detour signs will be placed with businesses' names to direct traffic. At-large Councilmember Dave Bozen said he is concerned about access to the KOA campground, specifically the Bamboo Ridge gas station which was affected by road closures for the construction of a roundabout at Solace and Hess Roads. The roundabout opened earlier this month. Quote, they ended up laying off people 
and they ended up shortening their hours just to Monday through Friday, 7 to 5, he said. We've caused undue hardship this whole year. I'm just afraid that we're moving forward at this end right at the start, and the future damage we could do to the campground and the convenience store and filling station, unquote. Mayor Quentin Hart said he is aware of the potential effects to businesses, but overall it's going to be a good process, unquote. The first phase is expected to go out to bid in February, with construction beginning later in the year. Laporte Road from Plymouth Avenue to U.S. Highway 218 will begin construction in September of 2025. Laporte Road from Plymouth Avenue to Bop Street will begin construction in September of 2026. The project is expected to be totally complete by June of 2029. During the meeting, the Council also approved the following. An agreement with Ptolemy of Boston, Massachusetts, in the amount of $47,500 for a software program to assist with rental registration and workflow management. A professional services agreement with EN Engineering LLC, formerly Magellan Advisors, in the amount of $1.1 million for management of the Municipal Fiber Network Project. This money was already allocated and is not an additional expense. And lastly, nine hotel-motel tax grant funds and a capital grant for the third and fourth quarter of fiscal year 2024 in the amount of $90,400. The sale of Iowa Northern is not expected to hinder the removal of Cedar Falls railroad tracks. Dateline Cedar Falls The removal of railroad tracks in downtown Cedar Falls is still planned at some point, regardless of the pending sale of the Iowa Northern Railway, officials say. Iowa Northern Railway General Manager Bill McGee and Cedar Falls City Administrator Ron Gaines both say plans to remove the tracks are still being pursued. Canadian National Railway announced plans to acquire Iowa Northern earlier this month. The transaction is pending regulatory review by the U.S. Surface Transportation Board next year. Quote, I think we should still be good to proceed, said McGee. Iowa Northern is taking a common-sense approach to taking out the tracks once used to deliver coal to Cedar Falls utilities. McGee said Canadian National is aware of the local plans. Daniel Sabin, Iowa Northern chairman, said the future parent company is on board with the plans. The CN deal is necessary because Iowa Northern will be losing significant equity from an expiring fund of Trive Capital, a Dallas, Texas-based private equity firm, at the end of the year, according to Sabin. A CN spokesperson refused comment over email and referred the courier to the press release announcing the acquisition of Iowa Northern. The announcement did not address the situation in Cedar Falls. Grant sought. McGee was among the officials on hand during a briefing with the Federal Railway Administration earlier this year after the city was denied a $9.76 million grant for the project. The general manager called it a good application for the railroad crossing elimination program, 
but noted the city was victim of a very competitive program, which Gaines called a fair assessment. Quote, we were told it was a good, eligible application. We just did not score high enough and were encouraged to apply again, McGee added. Only one Iowa project in Davenport receiving funding. More than $570 million in grants were awarded to 63 projects in 32 states. From the 209 applications received for the program authorized by the bipartisan infrastructure law, the city applied for the grant with intentions of providing a $1.22 million match for the project's estimated $12.2 million cost for the 11,642 linear feet of track. The railroad company would have paid $1.22 million. Cedar Falls Utilities was involved in the effort. McGee said there's a possibility it may bring aboard other partners in the effort to remove the tracks. He declined to name them. The track runs near the intersection of Iowa and West 1st Streets, next to the 1st Street McDonald's, and through the downtown area to Cedar Falls Utilities, and an area Pfeiffer Springs Park off Grand Boulevard. Iowa Northern operates approximately 275 track miles in Iowa, connecting to CN's U.S. rail network. It serves upper Midwest agricultural and industrial markets, covering many goods, including biofuels and grain, according to the news release. McGee expects another round of railroad crossing elimination funds will be granted, but nothing has been announced yet. The city council will need to approve submitting a new application, he said. The funding amount could change. Airport Board has tough decisions ahead on airline bid selection. Story written by Maria Cooper. Dateline Waterloo. Officials with the Waterloo Regional Airport were hoping to add another destination to its departures, but that isn't looking likely. Members of the airport's board met Wednesday to go over three bids for airline service in 2024. The subsidy bids range from $5.2 to $7.5 million. Right now, the airport works with American Airlines at a cost of almost $4 million a year. The board voted on a recommendation, not a final decision, to continue working with American Airlines. American Airlines, which has serviced the airport since 2012, placed a bid for almost $7.5 million for an annual subsidy. The airline would continue going to Chicago O'Hare Airport two times a day. Board members were hoping for a bid that would include Dallas-Fort Worth, the company's headquarters, as a destination. Tim Cyber, the Director of Air Service Development, with Voltaire Aviation Consulting, said the large jump up in cost is due to salary increases for pilots. Quote, basically, we're maintaining the status quo at $7.4 million a year, he said. There would be 50 seats on the plane with fares ranging from $239. Sun Country. The next highest bid came from Sun Country at almost $6.5 million. It would operate an average of four departures per week to four destinations. 
there would be year-round service to Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport in Minnesota. From January to April, there would be flights to Fort Myers, Florida. Flights to Orlando, Florida would operate from May to August. From September to November, there would be flights to Las Vegas. There would be no direct flight to a leisure destination in December. The planes would have 186 seats, with fares averaging $149. Sticking with American Outgoing Airport Director Keith Kaspari said the board has been griping about American Airlines' significant delays. Quote, This group has talked about needing a game-changer, he said. American Airlines is getting a lot more for the service that we're getting today, unquote. Kaspari said the airline as a whole, not just at Waterloo's airport, has hundreds of minutes of delays, unquote. Quote, if you're continuing to see delays at Waterloo, you're going to give us maybe a once, maybe a twice look, he said. Then you're going to take your business elsewhere. Board members Carrie Dara and Arlene Humble agreed that American Airlines would still be the best choice because it is well-known and flies to Chicago, an international hub with many connecting flights. I just think if we go to Boutique or Sun Country, we are going to completely say goodbye to our business traveler out of this airport, Dara said. She and Humble also said the airport shouldn't risk losing a major carrier because it may be harder to get one back. Kaspari said other major carriers like United or Delta Airlines didn't bid because they do not have enough pilots to fly their planes, especially to smaller communities. And now, friends, we'd just like to take a minute to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, published on Wednesday, December 27th, on IRIS, I-R-I-S, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and the Print Handicapped. Now, let's listen to this public service announcement. If you're anxious about retirement, if you can't stop worrying about your aging parents' health, if you're depressed because you feel like you're losing everyone you love, Turn to Your Life Iowa. Anxiety and depression are real illnesses. Let us connect you to someone who can help, because mental health is health. Get the help you need to start feeling better at yourlifeiowa.org. We're a free helpline where you can talk, text, or chat 24-7. Brought to you by Iowa HHS. Now, let's turn to the opinion section. For our first editorial today, we turn to the New York Times. This one is titled, This year, make a resolution about something bigger than yourself. It was written by Roger Rosenblatt. New Year's resolutions are panty-ante prayers. You are this way, but you hope to be that way. You used to want this, but now you want that. The assumption behind resolutions is that something must be corrected and improved. One vows to be better than one was the year before. Part of the nature of resolutions particularly for those of us north of 60, has to do not only with the new year before us, but also with time already spent or misspent. We reflect on the years we've lived, on the past resolutions made and broken, another New Year's Eve come and gone. Every time the ball drops, the heart sinks. You are running out of time, and time is what we value most. The historian-philosopher Lewis Mumford 
believed that the clock, not the steam engine, was the principal machine of the industrial age because time has a commanding relationship to the expenditure of human energy, and thus to any product itself. From the start, the essence of industry has been that things run on time. Time touches everything in life, even love. The fundamental things apply. Thus, there is always a melancholic desperation and urgency when we shout, Happy New Year! Will this new year, in fact, be any better than the last? We resolve that it will. We resolve to be fitter, healthier, cleverer, richer, more successful, more popular, more productive, better dressed, happier. And so restarts the whole vain, foolish, inevitably disappointing cycle. The trouble with all such self-oriented promises is that they deal in chicken feed. What does the great wide world care if you lose weight, or work out, or work harder, or quit drinking or smoking? Quit smoking or smoke three packs a day. Work out daily or let yourself go. It's your choice, your life, your little life. Meanwhile, the world, the world-tortured, self-destructive, polarized, endangered, extraordinary world, spins on. What if, instead of planning our exercise regimens, we focused our intentions on all that is undesirable in human activity? Wars, bigotry, brutality, the despoiling of the earth, and sought to address it. What if, instead of making a milk toast resolution, we made airtight commitments? In Leaves of Grass, Walt Whitman writes, quote, This is what you shall do. Love the earth and sun and the animals. Despise riches. Give alms to anyone who asks. Stand up for the stupid and crazy, he continues. Re-examine all you have been told at school or church or in any book. Dismiss whatever insults your own soul and your very flesh shall be a great poem, unquote. So there, if you're looking for a worthwhile resolution, Whitman is not a bad place to start. The task of improving the world may seem impossible, but it isn't. All it takes is the proper sequence of correct, discreet decisions. Decisions are just resolutions with teeth. An editor of mine told me a story from his childhood on his grandparents' farm in Iowa. The little boy, looking out over acres and acres of corn, asked his grandfather, quote, How are we going to shuck all that corn? His grandfather said, One row at a time, unquote. This, too, is how we improve the world. And we can start small. Personally, I vow that I will frequently visit a children's hospital and try to distract the kids with stories. The funnier, the better. I vow that I will phone every lonely person I know, and there are plenty, at least twice a week, just to chat and make them feel part of the living world. I vow to give alms to everyone who asks, and to those who don't, and to stand up for the stupid and crazy, the stupider and crazier the better. I promise to keep an eye out for strays, cats, dogs, and people, and bring them safety and comfort. I vow to see every wrong as a menace, every wound an opportunity. What will you do, right now, this week, this month, to make a better world?
stage a protest, send a letter to right a wrong, or to proffer friendships. A thoughtful, sympathetic letter to a friend in sorrow or distress is a powerful thing. Lend a hand. Offer a word of comfort or inspiration or support or love. Donate money or, most valuable of all, time. There are so many ways to move this world right within reach. The great beautiful irony of all this, of course, is that selflessness is not the opposite of self-improvement. Selflessness is self-improvement, the most meaningful and lasting kind. Practice it, and you may just find that the new year is, in fact, a step up from the last. You may find that, all at once, you look and feel better than you would have after any amount of dieting or exercise. Unburdened of ego. Lighter on your feet. Say, haven't you lost weight? Practice it, and suddenly you will find that your little life has gotten big. Big life, grand life, is like art. It is not done well unless the artist dreams expansively, ridiculously, by making a glorious Whitman-sized fool of herself in seeking to enhance everything, cure every ill, nothing less. At an event a couple of months ago, someone asked me why I wrote something the way I did, and I found myself blurting out, quote, to save the world. It was laughable, preposterous, and true. Our author, Roger Rosenblatt, is the author most recently of Cataract Blues, Running the Keyboard. Next, we have the column titled Stray Thoughts, written by Randy Evans, and this one was printed in the Storm Lake Times pilot. The title is, Here We Go Again, Banning is Not the Solution. I really should not be surprised by some comments that represent what passes for civic dialogue in Iowa these days. The latest example leaves me shaking my head, not just at the events themselves, but at the reactions. Mrs. Gentry, my history teacher and government teacher in high school, would be dismayed by intelligent people misunderstanding one of the foundations upon which the United States is established, that foundation being the desire of people for intellectual freedom. How I wish I could still drop by the gantry home, park myself on Mrs. G's couch, and dive into an in-depth conversation with her and Mr. G about the events that transpired in recent days at the Iowa Capitol. Some people's mistaken notion of what religious freedom involves has brought the spotlight to Iowa from as far away as Great Britain's BBC. The trigger for all of this attention was the decision by the Satanic Temple of Iowa to temporarily erect a small altar with candles and a caped ram's head feature representing the pagan idol Baphomet. The display was off the Capitol Rotunda next to the Grand Staircase, not far from where another group placed the traditional Christian nativity scene. Faster than you could slide down a chimney, controversy boiled up. Some politicians, including Republican presidential contender Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, called on state officials to remove the display. One member of the Iowa legislature, Representative Brad Sherman, a Williamsburg pastor, 
urged adoption of legislation next session that would keep satanic symbols such as Baphomet display out of the Capitol, the icon of Iowa's democracy. Sherman called the display blasphemous. Quote, For those who wish to worship Satan, they are free to do so on their own private property, he wrote in his newsletter, the Sherman Liberty Letter. Quote, It is a tortured and twisted interpretation of law that affords Satan, who is universally understood to be the enemy of God, religious expression equal to God in an institution of government that depends upon God for continued blessings, Sherman wrote. Other politicians weighed in in ways Mrs. G. would have found to be more in sync with our First Amendment rights. Representative John Dunwell, a Republican lawmaker from Newton, also is a minister. He called the Satanic Temple display objectionable, but he added a cautionary note. Writing on Facebook, Dunwell said, quote, I don't want the state evaluating and making determinations about religions. I am guided by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. I would rather have an evil blasphemous display or no display at all than have the state dictate what they think is appropriate. Shocked so many want to give up their freedom so they don't have to see a display they disagree with, unquote. Governor Reynolds took a reasonable stand on the display, although she could have been more straightforward in her defense of equal treatment by state government of various forms of religious expression. Reynolds said in a statement, quote, Like many Iowans, I find the Satanic Temple's display in the Capitol absolutely objectionable. In a free society, the best response to objectionable speech is more speech, and I encourage all those of faith to join me today in praying over the Capitol and recognizing the nativity scene that will be on display, the true reason for the season, unquote. The First Amendment rights belong to all people. They are not just available for those who follow a particular religion or believe a certain way or say things the same way we might. Intellectual freedom does not mean a vocal segment of society should be able to silence a smaller segment for having the temerity to think differently or behave differently or worship differently or want to read books that others dislike. Sometimes in a country built on intellectual freedom and freedom of expression, we may be offended by what we hear or what we see. Mrs. G's eyes would twinkle when she reminded me of the fact of life during those comfy couch conversations many years ago. The controversy over satanic temple vandalism illustrates our divided times in another way, too. Michael Cassidy, 35, of Lauderdale, Mississippi, was charged Thursday with fourth-degree criminal mischief for demolishing the Baphomet statue and tossing its head in a capital trash can. If found guilty, he faces up to one year in prison and a $2,500 fine. By week's end, like-minded people around the United States had donated $40,000 to his legal defense fund. Now, from the New York Times, we have In the Shelter of a Weeping Beach, 
This was written by Jesse Wegman. Off Route 6 on Cape Cod, a few miles in from the bay near Yarmouth, Massachusetts, there hides a giant ancient English weeping beech. The tree is so big that it has its own parking lot, but you don't see it right away. Tucked among a clutch of shrubs and smaller trees, it's not clear where or what the tree is. You follow signs to a thick green curtain, push through, and suddenly you're on the other side, inside. A huge gray-brown trunk, chiseled with lover's initials, rises 60 or 70 feet in a smooth, elephantine twist. Branches begin close to the ground, snake outward and upward, and then reach back to earth, take root, and grow again. The whole thing is enclosed by long trailing vines of leaves hanging all the way to the ground, creating a veil broken only by shards of sunlight. From the outside, you can't see in. From within, you can't see out. For someone living on the edge of two worlds, as my mother did in the last grueling years of her life, it must feel like home. My mother loved all trees, but this weeping beech was her favorite. It's hard to describe the experience of being in its presence, but she tried. In the journal she kept while she was sick, she wrote that the tree appeared to her as a herd of elephants huddled together, pressing their massive bodies together with their trunks entwined, unquote. Of one of her last visits to it, she wrote, quote, I had a clear image that I had come out of the earth and that I had been born through this tree, unquote. Those passages stuck with me, and they are why each year at her Yarzite, the Yiddish word for the anniversary of a death, I go sit in a tree. It's the best place I can think of to find her, since she's not buried anywhere. Some of her ashes went into the ocean off the north shore of Massachusetts. Some went under the beech tree. I keep the rest in a big cardboard cylinder from the crematory, stamped with a cloud print that looks like a cheap painting of heaven. I've never figured out what to do with it. Instead, wherever I am on that November day, I head outside at a few minutes before 1.35 p.m., the moment my mother's breathing stopped and her eyelids opened. I have been doing this without fail since 2009. I set only two rules, phone off and hands on a tree. Once I find the right specimen, I wait for my mother to join. I have no idea how long we spend there. Time is hard to measure when you're convening with the dead. Sometimes I tell her what happened over the last year. A marriage, a new job, a new kid, an illness, a new story she would have gasped at. I speak softly, but in a voice I remember. I address her as mom a word that defined my childhood, but that I haven't said out loud to anyone else for 14 years. And then, after this brief visit to the border between life and death, to the space between two worlds, I head back to work. It is as sacred a ritual as I have in my godless life, other than checking that our two girls are safe in their beds each night. Whatever tree I find, wherever it stands, becomes, for that moment, my personal house of worship. It's best if I can get up into it and find my own pew, although 
that was rarely an option when we lived in New York City, where clambering up a trunk on a midtown sidewalk will get you the wrong kind of attention. Now that we live in the country, it's not an issue. I am surrounded by very big trees, sugar maples, some hundreds of years old, towering Norway spruces, and eastern pines, shaggy cedars, a ginkgo, a honey locust, a larch, even two redwoods, and, by luck, there is a large beech tucked back in the corner of the field beside our old farmhouse. It's not quite as dramatic as the one on the Cape, but it has the same qualities, the smooth, gnarled trunk, the surrounding curtain of leaves, the sense of sanctuary. In the summer, our daughters shimmy their way up and along its branches, far beyond where I would go. My place is in a crook lower down, maybe five feet off the ground, where the main trunk divides into three. Every November since we moved, I park myself there. It's the perfect spot to visit my mother. This year, for the first time in 14 years, I forgot. There was no excuse. It was a windy, snowy Monday. I was handling an assignment at work, and I lost track of the time. I didn't realize my oversight until the evening, when I saw the yard sight candle I lit in the morning, still burning. Lying in bed that night, I felt guilty and desperate. I had failed to meet my mother at the appointed time and place. How long had she waited? This is my only physical connection to her, and I'd broken it. I was furious at myself. When you lose someone you love... People tell you about the importance of moving on from death, of emerging from the pain of loss. What they don't tell you about is the dread of finally arriving in that new place. The feeling is one of deep betrayal, that you have the luxury of forgetting, of waking up the next day. I did wake up the next day, and I walked down to the old chicken house that is now my office. Out of the side of my eye, I sensed that something wasn't right. I turned to look. The entire western side of the beech tree was gone. I stared for a moment, not fully processing it. It had snapped off sometime the previous day, presumably from the weight of snow and ice. I ran over to it and pushed past the veil of bare branches. The central trunk had sheared off at exactly the place where I sat, or would have been sitting. Irrational thoughts arise at times like this. Maybe I could hammer the tree back together. Had I caused it to fall by forgetting about my date? And I had another unexpected feeling, anger. I was angry at the tree. It was supposed to be strong and whole, to stand for my mother in her absence. It had been perfect, and through its perfection, I kept my connection to her, or at least to the person I remembered. Now it was just another broken thing splayed and helpless in the dirt. I wrote to an old friend of my mother's to tell her what happened. Quote, your safety was always your mother's top priority, she replied. Had my mother somehow protected me from being crushed by thousands of pounds of wood? I didn't believe that, but in anguish I went back to her journal and reread the part about the beech tree. I remembered it being on one page. I was wrong. It went on for several pages more. In those pages, she described her tears of grief at being unable to cure herself 
at being powerless to protect the people she loved from losing her. And then, she wrote, the image of the tree came back into her mind and she started to laugh. Quote, I have never faulted the tree for being a tree, for not solving world hunger or ending global warming, she wrote. Quote, I understand that the tree cannot move from where it is planted. It cannot leave its situation. I identified with its battle-scarred body, as my body is also scarred. I realized that the only thing this tree can do is stand where it is, to be a tree, to create a space of beauty and safe harbor around it. Someday it will be cut down, or succumb to disease or old age, and the offspring that now dot its perimeter will have more room to grow. I felt that this was my mission also, that I could not uproot myself from having cancer or run from the scarring effects of treatment. My only option was to bloom where I was planted, to create around me the most sheltering, expansive place that I could, unquote. With luck, both of us will be back in the tree next year. She was right. This is our only option. The tree falls apart. Everything falls apart. But in the meantime, it stands where it is, as long as it can, shelter for whatever or whoever might need it. Turning to sports now, in high school wrestling, Club Switch, New Perspective, has Osage's Kittleson on Great Path. Dateline, Osage. Winning a lot had never been good enough for Anders Kittleson. For his first three seasons in high school wrestling, one at Crestwood of Cresco and the last two at Osage, the Green Devil senior was not only consumed with winning, but winning by a more dominant effort than his previous. And if he didn't succeed in that drive, it ate him up internally. Therefore, after Kittleson, for the second time in his career, took second at the traditional state championships Last February, he and Osage head coach Brent Jennings had a long philosophical conversation. Quote, we talked a lot about making small steps, Jennings said. He put so much pressure on himself to win big, and if things didn't go that way, that pressure mounted. Quote, I told him it's time to put that aside, focus on competing, and have some fun. He is a senior. I said you need to have a little fun while you are here, making him understand this is his last go-round in high school and he needs to enjoy it a little bit, unquote. A state runner-up at 106, as a freshman at Crestwood, Kittleson had stacked on a fourth-place finish as a sophomore and last year lost 6-0 to to future Iowa wrestler Kale Peterson of Greene County in the 132 state final. He has lost less than 10 times in his career while accumulating more than 130 victories. In order to reach his own goals and climb the podium one step higher, Kittleson admits he needed to reevaluate his approach. The first step was moving from Seabolt Wrestling Academy to Immortal Wrestling in Waterloo Cedar Falls, Kittleson said. I did have a little bit of a philosophy change, and it is not about winning and losing, but all about evolving and getting better, Kittleson said. Learning from every match, whether I go out and get a pin, or if I lose, 
it doesn't matter. Quote, this big philosophy change has helped a lot, and it happened after the club switch, unquote. To date, the results have been good for Kittleson. He is off to a 19-0 and start and ranked number one at 150 in Class 2A. Whether he stays at 150 is one question that remains for Kittleson heading into the winter break. Quote, I'm actually thinking about making the descent to 144, Kittleson said at the Battle of Waterloo last week. I don't know if you will see me at 150 this whole season. We will see. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 27th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can access a recording of today's reading of the Courier or of the other newspapers around the state of Iowa that we read. Just go to our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your Iris, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <laughs>